21st Century Entrepreneurship with Martin Piskarik. Three things that people can do here and now to improve their health and their longevity. One is to consider the timing of their eating, of their food intake. Try to practice something known as intermittent fasting, where each day you are going at least uh, 12 hours, but ideally closer to 16 hours where you're not eating. And then you're eating within a window of, in that case, eight hours. So maybe between 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. you eat and the remainder of the day you don't eat and you don't snack. That is uh, potentially very powerful for longevity. Second is for exercise. Question is oftentimes, how much should I exercise? Well, the answer is that researchers have found that, uh, you know, according to Pareto's principle, the 80-20 rule, how can you get the maximum benefit with the minimal effort? It seems to be about 21, 22 minutes a day of brisk walking where you're getting your heart pumping and it's a little bit difficult to speak. So at that pace, that would be the minimum to get maybe around 60% of the benefits. But then of course you can do significantly more with weightlifting and high intensity interval training and so on. Um, and those are all great. But then the question is, can you overdo it? And there was a study published in March of 2023, which looked at the epigenome and people's uh, biological pace of aging. It essentially found that yes, you can overdo it. And so the question is, where's the inflection point? Like where do, after analyzing all of this data, where where for most people is the point at which doing more is actually going to be counterproductive. And that's, uh, or the, you know, on average is 11,247 steps per day. It's a very precise number. Uh, and, uh, in terms of met hours, a unit of measurement for power output, that's 34.7 met hours. Uh, and the ideal daily average of moderate to vigorous intensity exercise is about 5.9% of your, your daily activity. Um, now, of course you can, you can go above that and beyond, but the point is you don't want to go extremely beyond that where it can actually be negative or de deleterious to your health. And then the third I would say is supplementation. So you've got, as I mentioned, general health and longevity health, and we didn't talk about longevity health. So I'll just mention that quickly. That's where Novos specializes. And we focus on ingredients that have been found in many animal studies to be able to extend uh, lifespan of those animals, but then also in human studies found to um, have favorable health outcomes, uh, different biomarkers associated with aging improve as well. They're all safe, natural, have been taken for hundreds of years, sometimes thousands of years, are found sometimes in the human body, but they decline with age. So we, we actually go over all of this information. If you go to novoslabs.com slash approach, we talk about how we formulate. And if you go to novoslabs.com slash evidence, 
We show more than 400 scientific studies behind our formulation, uh, third-party research labs that have studied our formulation and found things like reduced DNA damage, reduced cellular senescence, and so on, and the case study results, and so on. And we'll continually update these pages with the most recent evidence that we have. The age-old question is nature versus nurture. So to what degree is our health and our longevity, our lifespan and how long we can live for determined by our genetics being nature or our lifestyles and environment being nurture? And a number of scientists have looked into this. Uh, some of them were equating approximately 80% being lifestyle, which is a surprise to many people. But most recently, an analysis, which you would argue is the most sophisticated statistical analysis that's been done on the subject matter to date, has said that 90% of our aging and our longevity is actually dictated by our lifestyles and environment, and only 10% by our genetics. Now, when it comes to that, what what does that exactly mean? Well, we, we've got this layer of uh, that's called an epigenome that sits on top of our genome. So we're all aware of our DNA and our genes, and this is what we're born with. And other than DNA modification through CRISPR and so on, these advanced technologies, what we're born with is is what we will live our the remainder of our lives with. But what People, what, what scientists and geneticists have uncovered is that our genomes are actually far more complex than simply our genes and our DNA. And that is because of the epigenome. So epi being like a layer in, in Latin that sits on top of the, the DNA. It's essentially which genes are turned on and off. And when you think of our genomes in that way of these switches, it is far, far more complex. Now, what determines when a gene is going to be turned on or off is the environment, uh, the lifestyle characteristics of, of an individual, uh, as well as time. So as you age, certain genes are going to turn on that shouldn't be on and certain genes will turn off that shouldn't be turned off. For example, maybe a repair gene that is ideally turned on uh, accidentally is turned off, or some would say actually it's part of evolution and it's intentional that evolution wants us to age to make room for the younger generation, right? But regardless, the point is that we as individuals don't want it turned off. We want that repair gene to be turned on. Um, so that's the age element of it, but then there's the actual lifestyle elements of it. So if you start exercising, for example, certain genes will turn on that will make you metabolize your fats and your sugars more rapidly so that you can get more out of your exercise. Certain genes will turn, turn on that are anabolic, that will build muscle uh, to repair that muscle that you're damaging through your exercise. And if you're sitting still on the couch all day long, those genes will not be 
turned on. So it's for that reason that our lifestyle will actually then interact with our genes and then will lead to what's known as phenotypes. So phenotypes are essentially the, the manifestation of environment and our genes then leading to some sort of outcome. So our blood lab numbers, uh, what we physically look like, our ability to run or our gait speed or any of these things are considered phenotypes. And that is largely being determined by your uh, lifestyle first and foremost, and secondarily by your genes. As a self-proclaimed citizen scientist, how do you approach scientific research on on those topics? So longevity and what led you to start experimenting with uh, supplements, diet, exercise? You, you mentioned exercise as well. Yeah, so what, when it comes to being as scientifically sound as I possibly can be for myself, uh, you know, the N equals one experiment, so to speak, uh, as opposed to, you know, a, a large population set where you're looking um, across the population, how individuals respond. When you're looking at yourself individually, it's it's more of a time-based uh, analysis of, of when you change something, how do then different markers change over time? And you want to try to minimize confounding factors as much as possible. So uh, that that's admittedly tricky uh, for a number of reasons. First and foremost, when I first got started experimenting with different diets and supplements and exercise and sleep hacks and so on, I wanted to do it all at once. And so, uh, you know, you can't really minimize the confounders when you're introducing confounders intentionally. Uh, but in, in some sense, that's okay, because uh, sometimes you just want to make a rapid, dramatic change to your lifestyle. If you know that you're not as healthy as you can be, you're not as physically active as you should be, you're not eating healthy, you're missing some critical nutrients in your diet. Well, why not just go from, you know, your current lifestyle to this dramatically better one, and then just see if there are measurable outcomes that that improve, um, and that that's fine. Uh, where it gets a little tricky is if you're trying to test one specific intervention, then minimizing the confounders. That's where it gets particularly difficult. But there are a number of different uh, biomarkers that you can track or that I track to be able to see how well different lifestyle tweaks and supplements and diet and so on are performing for my health. So that's everything from the extremely high tech side of things in the form of, for example, a blood-based epigenetic test, which measures my biological age. And I'm happy to talk more about that if you'd like to dig into that, to looking at uh, my telomere length, looking at different blood biomarkers, like you can get prescribed by a doctor, but I have a whole spreadsheet of them that I've maintained over the past decade and uh, it's everything from HbA1c to HSCRP, which is a 
inflammatory marker uh, to you know metabolic markers like cholesterol and triglycerides and so on. So tracking all of those to things I can do less expensively day after day, seamlessly more or less. So like with my Apple watch or my uh, aura ring to track my sleep and my heart rate variability, my scale that I have in my bathroom measures my um, visceral fat, which is the, the fat around your organs and is most correlated with morbidity and mortality more so than, than, um, the, you know, the more visible form of, of body fat. Um, it measures my pulse wave velocity, which is essentially measuring the elasticity of, of my, uh, my arteries and my veins. So you want your pulse wave velocity so the, the speed at which um, your pulse is, is uh, um, traveling through your, your veins to be uh, as low as possible, which is kind of a little bit counterintuitive at first. Most people think faster is better, but no, you actually want it to be slow because that indicates that there's a lot of elasticity to your, to your blood vessels, um, which means flexibility. And of course, if something's more flexible, things will move more slowly through it. The wave will move more slowly than if something's very stiff then it's going to travel very, very quickly. So these are all different measures, markers that I can track at home. And you don't look at a single day, of course, but you look at the trends over the course of weeks and months, and are these values improving? And then that's how you know you're going in the right direction for your health. You said for some things that they are tricky. Speaking about what is tricky, what is not tricky, you, you face the significant personal challenge. When you were diagnosed with a brain tumor, you were at a young age. And uh, how did that experience impact your perspective on life? And what I wanted to ask you, what is your relationship now with your body, with your emotions and with your cognitive or better say, thinking? Sure. Yeah. So uh, the brain tumor struck me when I was... Uh, a teenager. I was in high school, uh, 16 years old. I was more healthy, at least I believed I was more healthy than, than most of my classmates. I, I was uh, constantly uh, exercising in the gym. I was one of the only people in high school watching my diet and the foods I was eating. And so it was that much more of a surprise to me when I was suddenly struck by a brain tumor. It happened while I was on a school trip in New York City uh, I was at the Federal Reserve Bank listening to economists speak and I was learning. Um, and suddenly I started to get very dizzy and nauseous. And I told myself I would count to 10 before I got up for help. I didn't want to interrupt the speaker and, and cause a commotion. So I start counting and I get to one, to two, to three. I count up to seven and I started to feel a little bit better, but I never hit eight. Uh, I, next thing I knew I woke up, I had blood, uh, soaked into my shirt. It turned out that I had had a seizure. I severed my tongue and I was bleeding all over myself. And, uh, next thing I knew an ambulance came, rushed me to the hospital. I had to wait for my parents because I was a minor before they could do any testing. But, uh, eventually they, they were able to, uh, administer a CAT scan and they found, as the doctor put it, I had a large mass 
on my left temporal lobe, which essentially was larger than a golf ball above my left ear. And that was rubbing up against my brain and caused the seizure. And they decided they needed to do emergency surgery as, as soon as possible. And so, um, that was a Thursday, I believe. And so that Monday uh, over the weekend, they did a series of tests. Um, but then that Monday they, they, uh, did the operation and, um, and the truth is the weeks and the months that followed were actually the most intense experience because prior to that, um, although I, I did have to contemplate the idea of mortality and there was emotion involved, it wasn't nearly, it didn't really sink in as much. I was, I think a lot of adrenaline was flowing during those few days. And then after the fact is when I really realized what could have happened. I was also struggling because I was on anti-seizure medication and I had a lot of neuroinflammation from the operation. So I went from being, you know, uh, doing extremely well in school to being by all, you know, senses of the word dumb. Like I couldn't remember things. I couldn't compute things. I, I went from being able to do mathematics in my head to needing to use a calculator. I, I remember I, I had a uh, history tutor, um, while I, I couldn't go to school yet. And they, uh, she was asking me to repeat what I had. She had just read to me from the history book, one single sentence, literally immediately after she said it, she said, repeat what I said. And I couldn't repeat it. I couldn't remember what she said, one single sentence. So that period was extremely difficult for me. And it, it, it taught me a lot of humility also, because admittedly going into that phase, I was a, a little bit of an arrogant teenager, you know, th like did well in school. And I was like, yeah, I'm so smart. And now all of a sudden I, I understood what it felt like to be disabled, to not be capable and how frustrating and difficult it was. Uh, and so there are just so many lessons learned through this period. I went from playing on the high school football team, American football, that is, to uh, to writing poetry on a Friday night and, you know, uh, by myself sitting sitting in the woods uh, nearby, near my home. So uh, and that that planted a seed that has matured into where I find myself today, the business that I started, because I never again wanted to be contemplating mortality until my very last day. Right. And, and hopefully that's very, very far out into the future. So uh, what could I do to be as healthy as I can um, and not only focus on short-term health goals, but also always be mindful of those long-term health goals. And this is something that I've, I've been considerate of since that experience in my teens, but it's only been in the past decade or so that science has really focused on the biological causes of aging and has gotten a, a sophisticated comprehension of what causes aging enough so that we can now really target these causes and focus on it. And so it's only in the past 10 years that uh, I've really been able to make a, a uh, more significant impact on this uh, based on science, based on evidence. say uh, impact you have 
few very interesting models uh, concepts so if you can share so one one is novos n-o-v-o-s you will help me out with the pronunciation and the second one i found interesting is longevity hexagon so if you can share a little bit about both of them sure sure so novos is the company i founded uh, novoslabs.com and uh, it's a public benefit corporation i intentionally founded it as such so that we could do more for the public not only about making profit and being a successful business but also doing good for for society at large um, so I, I, in other words, I want to be able to help people live longer, healthier lives, regardless of whether they purchase my products or not. And how do we do that? We do it with information and resources, uh, different tools, uh, free AI, for example, to measure your facial aging and, uh, different, uh, uh different sets of information, knowledge, and, and tool sets to, to enable people for free. Um, and so. Overall, as a, as a company, Novos, I like to think of it as having three legs to the stool of the company. So one is formulations. We create novel formulations along with our team of six uh, Harvard Medical School, MIT, and Salk Institute scientists that study longevity, study aging. Um, and these are uh, our, our first product is called Novos Core. It's a patent pending formulation. It's the very first formula ever to address the 12 hallmarks of aging, which are the biological causes that I was alluding to earlier. Uh, we also have another product called Novos Boost, which is a booster to that. It's a simpler, less expensive single ingredients uh, to, to add on top of Novos Core. The second leg of the stool is testing. And so the first test or the, the, the test that we sell is called Novos Age. It's a package of three different tests in it. The first is, and as I, I referred to earlier, it's an epigenetic biological pace of aging test. So it was created by researchers at Columbia University and Duke University. And they essentially look at your epigenome, which I was talking about earlier, and they can detect patterns in the epigenome and specific genes that turn on and off. And then based on that, they could determine how fast or slow you're aging. So imagine if your score was a one, that means every one chronological year, you're aging one year biologically. And if you're smoking a pack a day, maybe that's actually 1.2. Uh, so you're aging 20% faster than the average person your age. And the reverse is also true. My score, for example, was 0.69, which implies 31% slower aging at this point in my life, largely based on the things, if you care to, we can talk about like my lifestyle and uh, uh, all of the, all of the uh, interventions that I've adapted over the years and follow now. Um and, and this is very important. Why would someone want this information? Well, uh, th this is pretty much your, your future trajectory, right? So this is something that you can, as I mentioned earlier, it's 90% lifestyle, 10% genes. You can alter this. You can change it. It takes between three to six months to see a noticeable um, change in your results. But if you change your diet and your exercise and your sleep and your supplements and all of these things, you can actually see a noteworthy improvement in these scores. And we've done a case study where we found 73% of people who were taking our formulations alone, not changing anything else, 
improve their pace of aging by a statistically significant margin. And 0% of people accelerated their pace of aging, which you would expect some people to have gotten faster with their pace. 0% did. So this testing is showing you what is coming in the future. Now, the second test we offer in that kit is your biological age. There are many companies beginning to sell biological age tests, but what I would caution is that biological age as compared to biological pace of aging, biological age kits are not as accurate. It's also looking more about like your historical, your lifetime damage you've done to your body. How old are you biologically? That takes longer to change than your speed right? Your speed, your pace can change more rapidly than your historical lifelong accumulated damage. Um, but we include it because it scratches the itch. A lot of consumers want to know what the answer is to that. So we include it, but we encourage people to focus first and foremost by far on the pace of aging. And then the third test is telomere length. So telomeres are the end caps of your chromosomes and your chromosomes are what hold your DNA. And every time you have a cellular division, your chromosomes, which are protecting your DNA, they get slightly shorter each time. And uh, although they are not directly correlated with your age, uh, I mean, there is a correlation, but I believe it's about 0.4. So it's not a very strong correlation. Um, if they get too short, then your chances of of disease, illness, things like uh, gastrointestinal cancers, for example, go up significantly. So this is a biomarker that we think in the context of longevity is worthwhile for you to keep an eye on. You can actually lengthen your telomeres through diet and lifestyle practices. So uh, it's it's something that you can improve and therefore it's worthwhile to track keep track of. But the main thing to look for is to make sure they don't get too short. Um, now, that was the second leg of the, of the stool, that is testing. What we also offer is free testing. So we have a longevity quiz on the, the top right corner of our website, you'll see it. Uh, we have something called face age, which is AI to tell you your skin health and your facial age. So novoslabs.com slash face age is where you'll find that all free. Um, and we'll introduce more tools in the future. Uh, and then the third leg is knowledge information. So if you go to novoslabs.com slash blog, you'll see that we have more than 120 articles, uh, the majority of which have been written by PhDs and MDs are fully scientifically referenced. Uh, so you can dig into the research yourself if you if you care to. And this is about lifestyle advice. Um, it's about understanding the causes of aging. It's basically taking all of the insights that we get from the scientific laboratory and uh, giving you the digest, giving you the consumer, the quick, easy, actionable insights that you need from what the sophisticated laboratories are discovering. And those are the three legs of the stool of, of Novos. So as I mentioned earlier, uh, aging is 90% is lifestyle, only 10% genetics. 
And I've dug into my genetics. I do not have in any sense superior genetics. I don't have genetics of a centenarian or a super centenarian who lives 110 years plus. Uh, my family hasn't lived into these ripe old ages. So for me to have a score of a uh, biological age that's uh, approximately 14 years younger than my chronological age of um, practically 39 now, um, or my pace of aging being 31% slower, I owe it entirely to lifestyle, not to genetics. And so then the question is, what lifestyle aspects um, actually impact my results and then lead to such significant improvements in my pace of aging and my biological age? And there's, there's a number of categories. So I'll just list them off and then we can dig into any one of them. Um, or multiple. So first is uh, nutrition. So uh, nutrition, we can look at that in terms of uh, what we eat, how much we eat, what those foods contain, and the timing of when we eat versus the timing of when we don't eat or when we fast, which is has an impact on, on our health and our longevity. Uh, an extension of that is actually diet and supplements, uh, sorry, uh, supplements. So Specifically, there are uh, certain nutrients that you're going to have a hard time getting an adequate dosage of through diet, no matter how healthy your diet is for a number of reasons, everything from factory farming to um, a lot of processed foods in our diets now to us having more stressors in our lives now than we had throughout evolution, including more alcohol, more um, uh, uh, work stresses, um, uh, unhealthy foods, toxin exposures, and so on. So there's supplements. And within supplements, you've got the general health supplements, which are what everyone's familiar with. It's the vitamins and minerals, potassium, um, uh, magnesium, zinc, copper, or vitamin A, Bs, uh, E, D, K, and so on. So that's one whole set of, of, uh, of a category is diet and the supplements. Uh, next is activity and exercise physical activity and exercise. Um, next is sleep and recovery. So as important as it is for us to be physically active and moving, it's also very important for us to then be able to recover and to be able to, for example, remove toxins through our lymphatic and our glymphatic, which is in our brains, uh, from our bodies during sleep. Um, after that is psychology and relationships. So as you can imagine, someone who is highly stressed or someone who is a lifelong pessimist um, or someone who isn't conscientious. These are all, all characteristics of people that live shorter lifespans. And then relationships, if you have, um, the, the figure is three uh, close friends who uh, are, are positive influences on your life, they're, they're productive relationships, not negative toxic relationships, uh, you can live a, a significantly longer life, or at least your odds of, of getting sick are significantly lower. Um, so relationships and, and community are important. After that is physical environments. This is whether you live in a big city or a suburban or rural environment, uh, the pollution in, in the environment that you live, or do you have very clean air? Uh, air, for example, air pollution is more deadly than cigarette smoke. And I believe it's in the neighborhood of about five times more deadly than HIV and AIDS. 
So it's it's uh, very important that you're breathing clean air and uh, you can do so with air filters like HEPA filters or just being out in nature away from pollution. Um, then uh, there's also um, hygiene habits that are important. So literally just flossing your teeth uh, and brushing your teeth each day because believe it or not, the bacteria in your mouth make their way into your bloodstream if you if you aren't taking care of your teeth and that can lead to a higher risk of uh, not only cavities and and gum issues that, that everyone's aware of but also alzheimer's cardiovascular disease strokes and insulin resistance um, and then alcohol um, and and uh, and drug exposure these are all also um, significant factors to consider uh, when it comes to your overall health and your longevity. I would suggest everyone go to novoslabs.com. You can find all of the resources I mentioned. If you go to novoslabs.com slash blog, you can find all of the knowledge that I've been talking about. We're on all of the social media channels as Novos Labs. And then I have a personal blog where I post my own biological test results and some ideas and, and uh, lifestyle hacks that I experiment with. That's slowmyage.com. And I'm also on Instagram and Twitter as slowmyage. 21st Century Entrepreneurship with Martin Piskarik. Imagine a space where triumphs, trials, and tales of entrepreneurship come alive. Welcome to the 21st Century Entrepreneurship Podcast, a gold awarded journey hosted by Martin Piskorik, connecting with listeners in 95 countries and ranking in the top 0.5% of all podcasts. Join our exclusive community, elevate your perspective, and embark on the path to success.